after singing that hymn, um, I'm almost ready for the benediction. Please take out your Bibles and turn with me, not to Mark's Gospel, as we've been doing, but rather to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, we come now to your mercy seat. We come to rest at your feet as you speak to your people through your word. Father, indeed, you and you alone are the dear refuge of our weary soul. So I pray, Father, that through your word and by your spirit, you would build your people up, that you would enable us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our refuge, our strong tower. Father, be pleased now to give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I just mentioned, we're starting a four-week Advent series, The Servant Songs of the Messiah. Now, even though we're taking a break from our current series, our time in God's Word for the next four weeks will interestingly serve as an extended commentary on one verse in Mark. Well, which verse? It's the verse, amazingly, that we left off with last week. Mark 10, 45, where we hear these words from Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, where did Jesus get his understanding that he had come to serve. Where did Jesus get his, in particular, his human understanding that he was called to do the work of a servant? Now, I believe much of his understanding can be found in the book of Isaiah. And I believe that much of our understanding of Jesus as a servant will be found there as well. Here we start looking at four servant songs or four poems found in Isaiah that we're calling the servant songs of the Messiah. Today we will see in Isaiah 42, the servant is presented. Next week from Isaiah 49, the servant is sent. After that, the servant is obedient from chapter 50. And finally, the servant is victorious in chapters 52 and 53. Now, this time last year, we were also in the book of Isaiah as we looked at a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 9. Well, who is Isaiah? 
one of the major prophets. Now, children, when we say major prophets and minor prophets, are we talking about the fact that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel are more important than Habakkuk and Jonah and uh, Malachi? No, we're just saying they wrote more. Their books are bigger. Isaiah is really big, 66 books. 66 books. Isaiah's ministry was in the 8th century BC, somewhere in and around Jerusalem. He, his ministry was primarily, we think, from 740 to 700 BC. There's twin themes that come out of the book of Isaiah. And as I began over the past few weeks to study the book of Isaiah, I realized what a rich depth for the Christian believer the book of Isaiah, God's word, tremendous. And we are hopefully not just going to scratch the surface, but we will dig down deep in certain areas. Well, the twin themes are coming judgment and coming salvation. I'm so glad that it wasn't just the theme of coming judgment. And I'm also glad it wasn't just the theme of coming salvation, but it was judgment and salvation. Some of you may be familiar with Isaiah chapter 6 where um, you have Isaiah's vision. But shortly after his vision is Isaiah's call. So turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 6. The first few verses of Isaiah 6 are familiar because we hear holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But after that, you have Isaiah's call, his commission. And look with me at verses 8 through 10 of Isaiah 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here, I, here am I, send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What an interesting call. To blind eyes? To stop up ears? As you read through the rest of Isaiah, you realize that people's eyes are already blind. They're already, ears are stopped up. It's a strange, a strange call nonetheless. Isaiah, as I mentioned earlier, is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. It's been referred to as the Romans of the New Testament. Uh, some have referred to it as a, a gospel of the Old Testament because there is sin and salvation weaving their way throughout the book. Here we're going to see children once again, promises made and promises kept. Now join with me as I read the first nine verses of Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Here's the question. Who's the servant? If we didn't have the Old New Testament with us, this first reading, it would be a mystery. And if you went back to Isaiah 41, just one chapter back, and please do that, you'll see in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 10, the servant is referred to as Israel. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who is the servant? Well, here we hear it's Israel, the nation of Israel, but is it also not a man? In, in Isaiah 11, which was read earlier, you hear a shoot of Jesse. And in Jeremiah 33, you'll hear these words from Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now earlier we heard from Matthew chapter 12, but Jesus gives some help to us in understanding of what's going on here in Isaiah when he says this as a risen 
Christ who's on the road, who meets with his disciples and says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And we read this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Indeed, Matthew's mind was opened. He understood. That's why he could recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's expectation for God's servant. Matthew picks up on Isaiah 42, the first four verses, and he makes a direct link with Jesus. Let's look at this first line of this song. Behold, my servant. Notice the first line is a command. Behold. One translation says hear, but as you see what behold means, it means to see, to observe, to witness, to watch, to view. Behold, the servant here is being presented. There's a stress on recognizing the servant, seeing the servant. Some of you I know wear eyeglasses and wear contact lenses. And some of you, um, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm sure I will be when your glasses disappear. And the problem with finding your glasses when they're gone is what? You need your glasses to find them. You need them. Physical vision, especially these days with LASIK surgery, is correctable. Unless you're completely blind, there's a way to improve vision, and sight. But it's not possible in and of ourselves for spiritual vision to be corrected. Many people, as we've been seeing through Mark thus far, see Jesus as a great moral teacher with authority. They see him as a great miracle worker, a wise man, a mystic, a prophet, a teacher, But do they see Jesus as when John would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're not going to be able to get away from our catechism in Mark. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? You don't have to answer now, but ask yourself, how's your sight of Jesus these days? How's your spiritual vision? If you lose your spiritual glasses, where do you go to find them again? We see right off the bat, God's word instructs us to behold, to see. Two aspects of the servant. First, his character, and second, his calling. You'll notice that these two aspects of the servant life are somewhat distinct, but as we will see, are inseparable. Because just like who you are and what you do can't be separated, you will see that the the character of the servant and his calling cannot either be completely separated. So let's look first at the character of the servant. 
This is in contrast to what Isaiah has just been writing about in chapter 41, the character of idols. Listen to these words from Isaiah 41, 24. Behold, and this is God talking through Isaiah to the idols. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. You see, one of the prophet's big um, responsibilities was to, to call the people of God away from idolatry. And Isaiah is, is battling idolatry in the hearts and lives of God's people. But then you see also the last verse of 41, right before we get into 42, is this. Behold, they, that would be the idols, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Here's a contrast coming because the servant is being presented. Israel, as the servant of the Lord, was to be a blessing to the nations. The calling of Abraham and then worked out through the people. In you, all the, nation, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We heard that echo in Psalm 67 as well. The calling to bless the nations through the knowledge of the Lord. To spread his glory. Well, first, we see that the servant is approved and empowered by God. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The servant is approved and empowered by God. We see first now the, the character of the servant in relationship to God. Where have we heard this kind of language before? Maybe recently. How about in Mark chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus? Maybe not chapter 3. But the chapter one of uh, Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We also heard that in the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 7. This, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Approved by God, chosen, upheld. God delights in this servant this servant has the Spirit of God upon him. And we see that, especially in the baptism of Jesus. But we also see further that this servant is gentle and compassionate. He's not just in a relationship with God. This servant is in a relationship with others. Look at verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He doesn't promote himself. He doesn't shout others down. To be sure, he speaks the truth. But as we've seen throughout Mark thus far, Jesus takes 
people aside. He, he heals sometimes not in front of the crowds, but in, in a house with just a few people. He wants to get away from rest. He welcomes children. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed. For the people hearing this, they would see it. They would see it with their physical eyes, a bruised reed. That this servant wouldn't see it, know that it's bruised, and know that it's no longer useful, no longer worth attention, but just to be discarded. And what's interesting is as you think about this picture, You may think of the fact that some bruises cannot be seen from the outside. I've heard the report of uh, the Princess of Wales, Princess Diana, when she died in the car crash in um, Paris, that when the paramedics got to her and they um, took her out of the vehicle, she looked fine. There was internal bleeding. There was a bruise on the inside. This servant will not break a bruised reed. And what's implied is we're learning through the catechism in terms of the Ten Commandments, in terms of what is required and what is forbidden. What we see here also is if he won't break this bruised reed, What will he do with the bruised reed? He will heal the bruised reed. My friends, um, several weeks ago I was talking to someone and I used this verse and I was like, where on earth is this verse? I know it's somewhere. It's in Isaiah 42. It's in Matthew 12. He will not break a bruised, weak, wounded, sick, and sore Read, dear refuge of my weary soul. That's the person who comes to Jesus. And he doesn't quench a faintly burning wick. You know, if we had candles up here and they were burning and somehow they went out, what, what, what do you, what kind of, how attractive is a Faintly burning wick. It's not very attractive, right? And not only that is the smoke that it emits, uh, it smells bad, usually. This servant won't extinguish it. The world will say, faintly burning wick, let me help you to your end. Not this servant. This servant is going to fan into flame that burning wick. We just sang about uh, my fainting heart. Have your hearts ever been fainting? My friends, this servant, this Jesus, doesn't snuff out faint faith. He strengthens fainting, weak 
faith. Why? Because it's faith in him. This is that servant. We see it all throughout Mark. Jesus is healing. He's teaching. He has compassion on people. What does he do? He teaches. His disciples want to keep children away. Don't bother Jesus. What does Jesus do? He welcomes children. The weak. The the people who can do nothing for him. Matthew chapter 11 Just one chapter earlier, we read these words. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My friends, there are moments of the Christian life where you are on the mountaintop. You have a close communion with the Lord and you are walking in the light of his truth but there are other times you are in the valley and the clouds are overwhelming and the darkness is coming you are bruised and you are fainting and Jesus says come to me come to me not only do we see the servant approved and empowered by God gentle and compassionate, we see him persevering and victorious. Look at verse four. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Here we see the relationship of the servant, not to God, not to others, but to himself. He will not grow faint He will not be discouraged. He will persevere. He will come out on the other side victorious. This is a hint of opposition, and we've seen that already in Mark. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to encourage Jesus in his ministry? No. How to destroy him. And yet... As we walk our way through these servant songs of the Messiah, we will see Jesus setting his face like a flint to Jerusalem, to the cross, being unalterable in his calling, plodding, heading toward Jerusalem. We've already seen the movement in Mark's gospel. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me because we are headed south up to Jerusalem. We're headed, as we saw in Mark 10, 35, 32 through 34, and then through 35 through 45, we're headed to the cross. Well, not only are we being presented here with the character of the servant, but we are also being presented with the calling of the servant. Beginning in verse five, but first it's the character now we see of the one who is doing the calling. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Wow, what a description of the Lord as the sovereign creator, the sovereign ruler. This is the one who is calling the servant. 
And what happens to the servant? Well, first, the servant will be given. Verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Kind of an echo of what we saw in verse 1. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Not just as a covenant, but Jesus himself, as the New Testament unfolds, he will be seen to be the covenant and a light for the nations. It's the calling of God's people, Israel, to be a light to the nations. The servant will establish Israel in a new covenant relationship with the Lord. Indeed, we read month after month and more often we hear these words. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus knows he's headed to the cross. His body will be broken and his blood will be shed. And it's the blood of this new covenant that we read the, the um, servant will give to the people as he's a light to the nations. But not only will the servant be given, the servant will restore and rescue. Verse 7. He's been given as a covenant for the people and light for the nations. Why? To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The servant will restore sight. He will open blind eyes. To open blind eyes. We're going to see the next time we pick up in Mark, Jesus encountering blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is going to say, what, Jesus is going to say, what do you want me to do for you? And his response is, I want to see. A great description of what the Lord does when he unrolls the, the scroll from the book of Isaiah 61 to open the eyes of the blind. It's one of his missions to restore sight how many of you have ever sung Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Have you ever stopped to fall on your face at that moment? Maybe not literally, but in your heart. I was blind, but now I see. I know of no one who cures blindness themselves. The Cincinnati Eye Institute is really good. They have yet to have a self-help desk there. He will not only open blind eyes, he will free and release captives. Prisoners in dungeons, and darkness. What a biblical picture of people in captivity to sin and death. Think about the exodus from Egypt as it pictures the greater exodus to come. Jesus not only opening blind eyes, but releasing prisoners, getting them out of dungeons, not in dragons, but dungeons and darkness. A fitting picture for folks who look alive on the outside, but they are estranged from God on the inside and they are dead and 
prisoners. So not only will the servant be given and the servant restore and rescue, but the servant, and for those of you who've been saying, why hasn't he talked about this yet? He will bring forth and establish justice. Three times in the first four verses. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Verse 1. Verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, till he has established justice in the earth. Three times we read and hear that this servant will, will bring forth and establish justice. Indeed, the coastlands are waiting for his law. The islands, those far off and far away. You think of justice in one sense of people coming to faith in Jesus. There is justification. There is forgiveness. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from righteousness. But turn with me now to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, this servant who comes initially in weakness and humility will return in glory and power. Chapter 19, verse 11, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. You're looking for justice? Justice will be done. But it's more than this kind of justice, as important as it is. It is also the restoral of all things. Look in a couple chapters later, a new heaven and a new earth, we read in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God Justice comes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that the, the uh, mystery of God's will, his purpose and plan is to unite all things in Christ. Justice here is related to shalom, peace, wholeness. This is what it's coming to. He will establish that kind of justice. Finally, and once again, we hear in verse 8, 
the character of the one who is doing the calling. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In contrast to the idols of the people, I am the Lord. There is no other, God says. Well, in these verses, we have just begun to consider and explore. We have seen the servant made known through a presentation of both his character and his calling. His calling by the one who does not share his glory with another. His praise with idols. He's being called by that God. As we, as we notice now, I want us to all notice how this servant song ends. It ends in the same manner that it began with the command to behold. Look at verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell of them. The immediate future is Israel's going to go into exile, but they're going to return through the Lord's servant Cyrus. Those of you that were with us for Ezra and Nehemiah, remember the Lord used Cyrus to bring his people back from captivity to the promised land. But in the distant future, God's people who are always going into exile because of sin, they're going to return through Jesus, the servant of the Lord. Indeed, there's another song, this one from Luke 2, and we're getting very close to the end. But turn with me to this song of the incarnation from Luke chapter 2. Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis. Some of you were here when we looked at that during Advent. Jesus, after his birth, was brought to Jerusalem by his parents to be presented to the Lord. And I begin reading Luke 2, beginning in verse 35. Excuse me, Luke 2, 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and this is the song, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Did you hear that song? For my eyes have seen your salvation. His eyes had seen salvation because his eyes had seen Jesus. So let me ask you, do you also want to see this salvation? Do you want to know this servant of the Lord who we've just seen presented? 
The one who we will see being sent, being obedient, and being victorious. Do you want to know someone like this servant, chosen by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gentle and compassionate, persevering to the end, restoring, rescuing, and bringing forth and establishing justice? Like this servant who does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Do we want to see Jesus, the servant, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? My friends, behold the servant of the Lord. Look to him and live. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we read that long ago at many times and in many ways you spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son, whom you appointed the heir of all things, through whom you also created the world. Father, indeed, Jesus is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Almighty God, would you enable your gathered people to more and more know and love and cherish and follow and serve this servant. Indeed, there is no other way to you but through Jesus, give us eyes to see this servant, we pray in Jesus' name.